We begin the thing with a universal picture. White lettering over black, unusual because usually they have the universal logo. Now we're starting the credit sequence in the first movie of what I call my Apocalypse Trilogy. The Thing, Prince of Darkness, and The Mouth of Madness. And sitting next to me here today is Kurt Russell. Yeah, this is fun. Check this out again. I haven't seen this movie for quite a while. One thing I really remember about this movie, John, was that when we came onto the lot at Universal, they had a big welcome sign for Burt Reynolds and uh, Dolly Parton. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, boy, we're in trouble now. That was the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> yeah, best little whorehouse in Texas. So I wanted to do a, a something with the credit sequence here, but it didn't work out because of the DGA and the contract in terms of everybody having their name linked together to the title. But originally I wanted to have the uh, uh, movie start with the saucer coming through space, heading towards the Earth, and the title uh, burning out. But I had to put all these titles instead, so it was a little strange uh, opening. But it worked out all right. A little different monster for the audience. Wasn't this the same year that E.T. came out? As a matter of fact, we came out two weeks after E.T. came out. That's what, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> and theirs was sweet and ours was mean. <laughs> now you're going to see in a minute the main title, Burn Through. It's exactly the same as the original thing. Uh, we copied their logo exactly. Peter Coran did this model flying through here, this shot and this one. Excellent kind of beginning. This is the crash of the saucer back in the I guess before man was on the earth, it goes down into Antarctica. And here we come, and uh, we're underway. We did this movie right after Escape from uh, New York, didn't we? I was going to say, we did Escape in 1980, is that right? Yeah, it was released in 81. And then we did this in 81. 81. This was released in 82. So this is the, the third time that you and I had worked together because we did Elvis before uh, Escape. We did Elvis, and then we did Escape from New York, and then The Thing. And uh, there we are, Antarctica. Winter 1982, and we began the film. We shot this opening up in uh, Alaska, in the ice fields above Juneau. And uh, we started shooting this in June 1st of 1981. We were up there a couple of weeks, and uh, we didn't realize when we got there that uh, there are not many clear days, because when it gets foggy, when the clouds come in over the sun, well, you can't see anything. So the crew uh, spent a lot of time uh, on sleds going down the glacier and getting sunburned. Now, uh, one of the men inside this helicopter was our first uh, assistant director and your brother-in-law at the time, Larry Franco. And there he is leading out. We used a helicopter mount. We used a car mount on this. It was one of the first times it had been done. Kind of an unusual feel to it. Now the set was built in the summertime, wasn't it? So that there could be snow on the, That's right. uh, snow on the roof. When That's we got right. To it. And this is a vast area uh, up above uh, Juneau, Alaska. This is really where all the weather patterns for the, the United States, for, for everything forms up in here. Yeah, wasn't this supposed to be the place where there was more snow than any other place? Than any other place ever. Now we're into the dog and um, the basic idea behind all this, of course, uh, now that we know is that the the thing has already struck a, a Norwegian camp, and now it's, uh, it's on its way to the American camp. And all this was second unit uh, photography. Uh, I was up there. Were you flying that helicopter? Or? I was not. I hadn't learned to fly yet, but this, this was one of the experiences that made me want to learn. That got you. It was being, uh, there's Larry Franco about to take a shot. And since he was supposed to play a Nor Norwegian, he uh, 
uh, made up some dialogue. Uh, Schmergsdorf. <laughs> The only problem with this location was we couldn't get any beer. And so we tried to send the helicopters back down to Juneau to get beer and bring it up to us. But the, the uh, locals didn't help you out much. There. They didn't help us out too much. <laughs> That's cold, boy. <laughs> it is. It really is. And now in a second here, we're going to cut to um, our set at the glacier in British Columbia. There we go. Oh, ma. There we are. It's cold. It's awful. And I think that's Keith David working on that thiokol there. There we go. Now we're in our sets in the Inside Universal. And there's Richard Dysart, Will Brimley. And here you are, your introduction in the picture. Yeah. McCready, the helicopter pilot, likes to have a drink of uh, J&B. But also, he was fairly isolated out there. Didn't we talk about the Vietnam uh, helicopter? Yeah, yeah he had some experience and was probably an alcoholic now. And what was interesting about it was that here was this guy who uh, was up in Antarctica with all these other guys who had their own problems for wanting to be up there. But this guy had to get a little further away than most. <laughs> so here's a man with a problem in his chest board. He was a true loner. And um, I, I felt a, a character who never wanted to assume the leadership role and was forced into it right, through circumstance. And I remember that when I came on board with you, the hat was already established because of second unit stuff. That was great. The, the big hat was something I really enjoyed. I don't know how you felt about it. But well, I, I had to live it was, with it. Ah, <laughs> I had to learn to love it. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so we're back up in Alaska for this particular sequence. The dog you see running here is not the dog we ended up using. Uh, Jed is the thing dog in the later parts, but this is a, a double. He's kind of painted like uh, Jed. He didn't like this particular moment. Right there, the dog ducks because the helicopter is really only about five feet above him. That's amazing flying, isn't it, when you know how, how impossible it is to determine where you are. These, the uh, these uh, bush pilots we had up there were pretty wild guys. I mean, <laughs> what was it we called him, Lawrence of Alaska? Uh, Lawrence of Alaska was up there. This was the the guy who was flying this. Uh, you went up one time and he gave you the controls and off you yeah. went. <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I remember we were warned because this was all very near the an edge, and uh, it was impossible to tell some days one step being uh, the next that would be fine and, and taking us one another for step and you'd be falling about 500 feet. What's he doing? The Here's some of the uh, cast gathering together there. So Keith David and uh, uh, David Clennon and Charlie Hallahan. And I couldn't tell if that was... Uh, I think it's Peter Maloney was the other one. So here goes Nate, the helicopter pilot, into a kind of a thunderhead there. He comes around and uh, Larry Franco again opens up a, Swedish. a little bomb. What is it? Was he Norwegian? Yeah, he was Norwegian. Norwegian and we have a little uh, uh, shot here that uh, he drops the bomb. We couldn't uh, set off the explosion under the chopper, so it comes a little late there, but otherwise it worked pretty well. Nate does a quick stop on the helicopter, pulls back like that. He's coming up, you can't really see it, but he's coming up on the ledge, shelf, yeah. and he sets it down. And we're about to, uh, about to get our story underway. Looking at that shot reminds me of me forgetting to bring my skis up there. It was fantastic skiing, and and uh, nobody brought skis. That's Charlie, and yeah, that's... And there Maloney. you are. I joined him there. 
we all developed a real camaraderie working together oh, up God, in, that was amazing. in the middle of nowhere. We had some, some adventures that I think we really can't talk about. <laughs> we had a hell of a time just getting there on that bus, oh, I can tell you that much. You were yelling at the actors, getting them to put it back on the road. We had, to, we had to get out of, had to get out of the bus and, and turn the bus. We had to push the front end of the bus around. It was so icy that we were able to do it. Norbert. Norbert. Norbert was uh, very fluent in Norwegian. And uh, off we go here. At the time this movie was released, this would have been uh, in June of 82, it was considered a very frightening and horrifying and repellent film. But now we look at it and it's, it, it's kind of a straightforward, uh, tough, hard-hitting action picture with a monster in it. Really, our concern was about the paranoia aspects of the story. It was such wanted. a great story about, about that, wasn't it? Twelve guys and finally getting, and knowing each other so well, and then finally getting to a point where you don't know. The original anything. short story was called Who Goes There? And I think that sort of sums up the idea. Who Did, Are you human or who are you? And the original thing didn't have much to do with the original short That's story. That's right. right. It was and a monster like Frankenstein was a monster. So you decided to go back to that. Let's go back to the short story and, and explore it. I thought it had never been really told. So now we've shot the Norwegian without really knowing uh, what's going on. Here you guys are actually putting out this mock-up we set on fire. We started using some transitional devices here between this scene and the next one. Sometimes we do fades to white, whiteouts, and sometimes we do blackouts. And uh, depending on the mood, we wanted to... That's Richard Masser. Masser's coming up to talk to the dog, who's very nervous because we're all standing there as a camera crew. It's very cold, uh, as you can see. The set was built by John Lloyd up there. Now I think we're going to go into a transition here. We, uh, we did a lot of improvisation and rewriting when we got up to British Columbia to try to clarify yeah. some points in the picture. Remember, it was so difficult to tell uh, on film who was who because... The characters were so many of them. I think Bill Lancaster, who wrote the screenplay, did a terrific job, but uh, I probably screwed up as a director and not differentiating. Peter Maloney and Richard Dysart are uh, in this scene together. And... Uh, both very fine actors. Tom Waits. And here comes Will, Wilford. <laughs> Will Brimley, who is one of the great all-time people. U.S. number 31 calling McMurdo. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, they broke the mold there, didn't they? And Will is the real thing. I mean, he, he's, it's impossible for Will to ever do anything phony. He's really who he is. Get a hold of somebody. Get a hold of anybody. we got to report this. He's a long way from those oatmeal commercials here, isn't he? <laughs> God, I have a real affection for Will. He's a terrific guy. And you want me to reach somebody. So we're in the sets at Universal here, and here comes TK on his roller skates, and we're about to get into our first kind of big dialogue scene. He's a funny guy, TK. Maybe we had war with Norway. He is funny. I've seen TK a number of times since then, and I must say, he's just a joy. I was wondering when El Capitan was going to get a chance to use his pop gun. And there's Keith David there in the background. How long have they been stationed there? And uh, Joel Polis is over there. Various characters who are basically down in Antarctica, working at a, at a scientific uh, institute. And uh, David Clennon, who usually plays the lawyer, got to play uh, 
kind of a mechanic who wants to be a helicopter pilot. So his idea for a character was he got out of drug rehab, and, <laughs> and he's now trying to live a real life. Nothing we can do about that. Oh, yes, there is. I want to go up. In this weather, Bennings? I remember taking uh, Keith and TK down to this hider to get hide rides. rides. <laughs> yeah. I still in my wallet right now. Do you at carry this it? moment, I have my hiderization <laughs> card. I've never, I've, my, I've never felt my throat close off faster than that. I was near death when I got hiderized. <laughs> hiderized is basically you have to drink down Everclear, and then they light the glass on fire. It's pretty wild. Loaded with kerosene. I count 15 cans. This is real snow in a real storm. Uh, we had some unpleasant shooting times up in British Columbia. I fell asleep one night, and it was around 30 degrees below zero with the wind chill. There's a nice whiteout transition, and we're into uh, the next scene. And really, the one of the dangers, Kurt, as I remember, is a whiteout. We actually got stuck in one trying That's to get right, down That's right. I forgot hill. about that. You were in one helicopter. I was in another one. We, had to, we were on our way to punch in until uh, the pilot found his way back. And then we had to ride down on the bus. I, and I remember you talking about that from uh, having talked with the helicopter pilots about it. And I thought, how, how bad could a whiteout be until we got into that one? And we realized there was absolutely no visibility, zero, zero visibility. It's like being in the inside of a ping pong ball, trying to find your way out of it. And uh, I think this is where I got the This, is the, the, this is the incredible scene where uh, what we have in the helicopter is a dual control system. And you're in one seat and the real pilot's in the other. And he's lifting you up and then all of a sudden gives you the controls of the helicopter. <laughs> and you see it sort of start to wobble. <laughs> uh, it did. That ground fell away fast, though. Boy, it went from uh, 5 feet to 5,000 feet pretty quick. Here you are. And he's in the left seat. And you're looking around. And you're going to pull it in and then take it up. And you really have your hands on the controls yeah. here. He's helping you get off. There it you looked go. like I was flying Very there without good. taking control of it. And at some point here, he gives the control yeah. to you. I thought yeah. it was actually pretty good maneuver. We'll see. Oops, I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's pulling in a lot of power to come up around there. This, The pilots we worked with were bush pilots in Alaska, and they were fearless, kind of wild men. I remember the pilot we had in Alaska offered to crash the helicopter for money. <laughs> So now we're into kind of a, a quiet sequence as we discover the dog uh, has a secret. Nalls, will you turn that crap down? I'm trying to get some sleep. I was shot today. This is TK's that, uh, domain, huh? TK's domain, and we're kind of uh, shooting the sets. I think also one of the problems was to make the location realistic. It's really a kind of prefabbed building that they would have and the rooms look a lot identical. I remember you had to be able to blow the actual structure up and we were living in it a lot of the time. Yes. So it was always 31 degrees. And it was Couldn't extremely cold. Well, one of the great parts of working with Jed, the dog, was that once he got to know the crew, you could do a dolly shot with him and he would not look at the camera or the director or the crew. And here comes the dog. This is quite an amazing uh, shot. He's doing this all by himself. The dog hesitates at the door. He's not looking at the camera. He looks in. He stops. He checks out somebody in another room. He pauses, then moves. doesn't look, look at, at us as we pull back. Look at that, yeah. Then he stops and stares. Look at that. Waits, and in he that's, goes. Yeah, Amazing work hard. for an animal. How many times did you guys do that? Four or five. And he, just he was got really, right really good. Fade out. Now we're into uh, a second unit shot here. We have a 
Bell Jet Ranger going by, and yet when we cut to the interior shot, we are actually in an A-Star. We had two helicopters on location, and through the A-Star, coming up here in a second, it goes bang. You have more view through the front oh, window. I see, I see. The helicopter pilot, uh, you are on the right seat, but it's really the pilot, and these are... These Was are, that a second unit shot? That that's we, a yeah. second unit shot. And now we're back uh, on, in British Columbia, and uh, we've already blown up the compound for the end, and here you come landing in, you and Dysart. So we uh, had to revamp the set to make it into the Norwegian set. Now you see what a helicopter looks like when it comes down really quick. It hits the wind and the, uh, the heat, and it spins around a little, and down he comes. A lot of, a lot of power from those rotors, and sets it down. And In a minute, we're going to go onto the soundstage at uh, Universal, and John Lloyd's sets, I must tell you, in this mm. sequence were just gorgeous. It was so weird, too, because it was so hot. It was, I remember it was 105 degrees outside in Los Angeles, and it was the exact opposite of what you experience when you go into a walk-in freezer. Uh, because it was so hot outside that when you went into the set where it usually is warmer than inside, it was colder. And, and it was, what, 28 degrees with the misters? We had water in the air, the only way to get breath, and yet you still had to put coffee and, and, and hot liquid in your mouth to oh, get remember those little baskets we had once in a while? We had little baskets with uh, dry ice in them. We had to keep moving them around in our mouth. So you're about to come up to our, our air. We are an interior set now. And uh, Dean Cundy's lighting is spectacular here. The, the value difference between the snow and the outside light and the interior lights are very moody. This is your basic kind of uh, haunted house walk. Uh, was a lot longer originally in the script, but we uh, cut it down to move the story forward. You make some discoveries here that later on are going to aid us in the story. A very beautiful shot. Here you have the uh, a lot of contrast in Dean's lighting. I, I he did an incredible he job. Really did. It was a great look on this picture, and this stuff was tough to do because I, everybody got sick from those misters and from being cold. It got to be a grind, didn't it? This got to be a little bit of a grind with the flares and the smoke and the cold. This was tough. I have yeah. to admit, this was a this was a tough show. It wasn't pleasant physically. We were all pretty tired. The music uh, that's that's uh, going here is from a composer that I've been an, an admirer of, uh, Ennio Morricone. Mm. And it's a full orchestral score. It's very beautiful. And now we're up to Rob Bottin's first rubber effect shot. And I remember when we all first shot this, we were rather dubious as to whether this was going to work. It actually turned out all right. It looks pretty different in real life than it does on film, doesn't it? It sure does. In real life, we all thought, my God, what is this? <laughs> But we managed to capture uh, on film the idea that a, a man is frozen, uh, he's committed suicide, and he, sh he slashed his wrist, and the blood is frozen really fast. You do freeze pretty quickly there. But when we all saw this on the set, we thought, oh, Lord, this is not going to work. <laughs> I remember Rob always coming in, it seemed like, with more of that gel. He said, it's going to be fine, John. As soon as I put the gel on, it's going to come to life. <laughs> We used carbapole, which is the ingredient in Twinkies that holds it together. That was our slime. And uh, Rob was discovering what the monster was as we were making the film, so we had an occasional uh, on-set experience that was rather depressing. We'll get into that later, but here you are into another section of the set, and you're about to walk into one of my favorite moments. It's a, a uh, nod of the hat to the original film. 
in Hawks's version, they brought in this big block of ice, and the thing gets out of it. So we wanted to put a block of ice in ours, and you discover it in another room. This is all phony snow, um, and it worked pretty well. Roy Arbogast was our on-set special effects man, did a terrific yeah. job. That was tough to do. I remember a lot of dialogue about that because that was going to be throughout the whole movie. And if that would have been bad, it would have looked so phony that you wouldn't have been able to stick with the story. Let's hurry it up. I'll check out the last few rooms. Now, I remember you make this walk down the hall there, and as you come out the door, I remember when we were shooting it, you're really pushing the breath. It was cold, but you just, hey, there you yeah. go. You're really selling Might have started with a cigarette there. I don't know. Uh, 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 <laughs> Might have started uh, uh, with one smoke. Before. You're still pushing it pretty good. I like that. And now you, you see what we don't see yet, and we're about to hey, introduce here. that element for uh, Dice Art's going to come down and, and track back. Oh, really, yeah, that's great. there we are, oh, revealing no, that's the uh, block of ice. And, uh, and uh, again, a beautiful set. Um, James Arness's bed. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great set, wasn't it? Another pullback uh, situation. Yes, it was, and, and extremely beautifully done. This was uh, uh, perceived at the time to be uh, a film that was, uh, I, I don't know what the word is, cruel or something, but I think maybe more it was a somber, serious film. There wasn't, a, there wasn't the kind of humor that you began to see in action movies and horror films. It wasn't jokes. We were taking the characters and the story extremely seriously. Yeah, that's right. It, you're right. It was, it, was, it was in a time before that seemed to become prevalent in these kinds of scary movies that even in the ones that you had done and when Escape from New York where there was a little bit of humor, this one had very, very little. It has one of my favorites ever in a movie when that guy's crawling away. We'll see that later on, but... Uh, the characters, you know, like your character didn't make any ironic asides to the audience or say kind of heroic lines. We all played it uh, and committed to being very believable. We rehearsed the actors. You know, we remember we had rehearsals for mm -hmm. two weeks mm -hmm. where we That's would right. play the scenes. And... Uh, it was an intimate story. It was such a... Wasn't it? I mean, it, it was, was such a small, intimate story that... Uh, it was a story about claustrophobia. It was yeah. a story about men. And I really enjoyed the fact that there, uh, there, there was a, it was all a men involved. Oh, yeah, in that was interesting, too, because it was, an all, as I remember, it was an all-male crew except for Candy, I think her name was, who That's was right. pregnant, and she had to leave the show because she was pregnant, and that was basically an all-male crew. All of us. It just created an interesting situation, though, I thought, because it, there was no uh, posturing of any kind uh, because there was nobody to posture for no, you we were all I mean? pretty was, equal on it this was, show. Yeah, it was very interesting. So uh, now we're bringing in the corpse of uh, the thing. And now I thought that Rob did a pretty good job That's with, with this, uh, this creation. We had to use old-fashioned uh, A and B smoke on this, which is incredibly hard to, to deal with. As you can see Will Brimley reacting, he's, he's being truthful yeah. in his reaction. I was gonna say, this is one of those scenes too where it's, a, it's an eight-man acting contest. Who can, who can act like it smells the worst and everybody was thinking that, and then when we pulled that thing off, it was, it was pretty rugged. And uh, yet you guys are still there. You're still You're hanging. hanging over it. <laughs> Because this, this smoke is extremely pungent. They've changed it now in these sensitive times when people can't handle cigarette smoke anymore.
But I remember as a director, this was one of my biggest challenges because I saw you 11 actors all with dialogue and scenes and I just started wanting to run the other direction. I didn't know quite how to do it. I learned. Isn't through, it the toughest thing there is to do as a director? To take uh, the worst. nine or 10 people around a table? It's the worst. For five, six, seven minutes and be able to make the audience remain interested in what they're saying. That was what's so stunning about the way the first movie was done. They had a, I watched it again, they had a 36 shot. They had 36 people in a shot. And uh, there's a meaningful look from you there. I, I, interesting, how long did it take you to grow uh, that hair? And, uh, and yeah, it was a long time. I, 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 I was a year or so because uh, I think the last movie I'd done was Escape. You already had it already. I, I had it already. I, but I had to cut it. I remember I did that play and I had to cut it short. That was after. Or I guess that was after this, That was after it? the thing. That's right. So. So it was in between that. So Tommy Waits is uh, not paying enough attention to uh, getting uh, his message across. We start to learn that no one is listening to them. Their storms have shut everything down. And uh, they're doing autopsies. We're about to cut to one of the delicious shots that the audience was repulsed by. Basically, what you have is a uh, kind of a rubber creature where Brimley reaches in and Pulls out some fresh uh, liver. <laughs> yeah. Brimley, having been a real cowboy, had no problem and, and was trying to tell us what it's like to... He's just skinning a deer there. That's it. That's basically <laughs> all there is. A deer. Look at how he sells it. He kind of squishes it around yeah. and brings it out. Attaboy, <laughs> Will. It's really true, though. I can remember at this time, the audience was beginning to have a tough time. And basically, when we get to the dog sequence, uh, they really had a tough time. The dog sequence uh, drove a lot of people nuts. There he goes. Now he's really selling it for you. But uh, we'll love give it a sense character. of reality too. I mean, well, what is good about that is without that shot, this doesn't have the doesn't have hold the same punch. punch that the. Uh, and you've got to take this stuff seriously. I feel in order to make this movie uh, uh, something more than just a uh, kind of a creaky monster movie. Basically, what you've got in monster films is that you have a guy in a suit. You end up there. You end up in some technique, and I wanted to do a movie where you didn't have that. Right. But this was a real creature. Now, also, Kurt, at the same time, there's a little article in the paper I remember reading about some kind of new disease that was occurring. That's right. It was called AIDS. Yeah, it was and just... people were dying, and it was a very weirdly similar in <laughs> dynamic to what we were doing because you couldn't tell That's who right. had it. That's right. It was just the beginning of AIDS being discovered in the press, and uh, it really was spooky because they didn't know what was causing it. They didn't know who had it. They didn't know how somebody got it. And uh, You would actually have to do a blood test to yeah. find out, which is what your character eventually does in the picture. So now we're about to get into uh, the, the dog sequence, which is... Uh, the first time we really show, strut the thing's stuff and show that it's... Uh... I love all the interplay here of some of these guys. Yeah, you, know, you just noticed Charlie looking at the dog kind of strangely. And everybody had their own little thing where they they gave you a little bit of story just sometimes with with the way they behaved. Because I, uh, the actors, were, you guys were so committed to character. The, yeah. You were so was, committed yeah. to do it, telling the story. This was a difficult sequence to shoot because anytime you have a bunch of dogs and you introduce... This dog, who is a tremendous acting dog, Jed, he comes in and he's pausing at all times, his trainers. Now, the other dogs, to keep them still while he walks in, is it was a big feat. They would want to jump up and bark. And uh, we're trying to get him in the position of the phony rubber dog, which 
Howie. I can remember lighting was real diff was real important here too, wasn't it? Because of the, what you were the, about to get into. The phony dogs always the fur doesn't look real. Yeah. And I'll show you when you cut to it. If you look really carefully, you can tell it's a uh, that's a real dog. That's not. And uh, of course, it's a wide shot. It works. But now, in a second, we'll cut to another phony dog shot. These are the dogs reacting. That's a phony dog. We had to take the light off it because the fur doesn't work. But now we're going to start to. Uh, that's a real. Yeah, this is. Great. Now we start. They all start barking. We're going to start into our effects. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Crack it open. I love this because now that time has passed, you can look at this and you can see somewhere the organism. What other planets it's been to? What was there? What was on those planets? What did it run into that it had to imitate? And it's imitated every life form it's been, you know, encountered. So who knows? I mean, that it becomes a crab worm dog with its head split open. It's pretty bizarre. And now it's going to shoot carbapole at the other dog. Basically, that's the stuff uh, in Twinkies, and it's really fairly harmless. It looks worse than than it is, but it splasho, splasho. The poor little dog wanted to get out of there quick. <laughs> But we had the Humane Society with us, and, and of course now Masser comes in and we do a cheap trick where we throw a dog on him and try to get the audience <laughs> to be scared. <laughs> but the uh, tentacles that you see uh, uh, moving around in a minute are actually whips that Rob Bottin is operating, much like Indiana Jones. Uh, great lighting in this uh, set because you couldn't show, you wanted to see nothing and yet here it comes, bang now, there it goes. Cheap trick, I'll have to build the dogs. And uh, here come the whips, Rob is, there he goes. He's doing a good job with it too, pulling the whips back in. We used a lot of reverse uh, motion technology, all sorts of things. And you hear this inhuman scream and decide that's, to yeah, operate the, something, uh, and that, something's it's up. playing on his mind, that's why he's up here, that's right. He's, he's, Getting he's the beer. trying to figure out what's going on, that doesn't sound right. We figured he had kind of an early suspicion that something very, very, very wrong was taking place, right? And he was right. <laughs> he turned out to be right. And I love the way you played this character, which was extremely real and a, and a kind of low-key guy. I thought he was uh, really terrific. Took took charge when it needed to be done, but... Uh, that was a fun idea, too, of, of getting to play a character who was not Mr. Fabulous from the top. It wasn't Mr. Big. He wasn't the guy who was going to take care of the situation. He was somebody who was going to be sort of forced into it. And yet he's an extremely reasonable man but he later. Just, yeah, he has to do what he has to do. So we're about to see some more uh, trick effects. Now the, some of the Stan Winston effects are about to take place. That's uh, when Rob was busy uh, trying to pull off the schedule. He asked Stan to come in and do this particular monster, which worked out pretty well. It's a, we shot this much later in the schedule. There are a lot of folks underneath the set operating this whole thing. Of course, we're looking at black gobos there with, with, with big white X's on them. <laughs> you guys are seeing nothing. <laughs> we're seeing nothing. And this is a reverse shot. We actually pull the tentacles in. That's a pretty horrible little reverse shot here of a phony dog getting uh, covered. And off you go. Let's try the shotgun first. And that's pretty good. Shoots a little goo out. We discovered that the audience would accept uh, yellow goo or purple goo, but not blood. They, they got upset if the yeah. thing was too red. 
That was a tough moment for Masser, I think, having to stop stop me from shooting whatever this was. I mean, like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> Look at that. He goes the hands up to the ceiling to blast through, and and um, this was, I remember, the first time we ever used the real flamethrower on the set. We had two models, one that wouldn't shoot and one that would, and Keith David's running in to save the day, and he actually gives it a blast with a real one. We were all rather nervous about this. And uh, here comes a very strange, there's eyeballs in it that are opening up. And it, it was, it's pretty tight quarters here because if he turns any direction with that thing while it's on, you, you weren't gonna have time to get out of the way. That's correct. Look at that, now I love that plant because that, <laughs> that was some other planet. And now we set the set on fire and then you, you run in, guys run in and put it out. And as a matter of fact, you played a practical joke on me one day after you had used the flamethrower. After lunch, uh, there you were standing with bandages on your face and the crew around you, and you said, John, I got burned, man. I can't work anymore today. And I had to stare at everybody's face to see where. they. I know they're kidding me, but where is it? I don't, everybody was pretty good. It was a pretty elaborate scheme. It took getting to the whole crew and uh, half an hour great. makeup. It was great. You look like the invisible man, just these eyes showing. It was fantastic. So now we've discovered, the audience and the characters have discovered that in fact, uh, we're in deep trouble here. And uh, they're gonna try to figure out what to do. Will, I think his favorite moment in the film was opening this up and pulling out the thing underneath. He really got into being a biologist. He wanted to play a character who was uh, uh, very straightforward with what he was doing, and he just brought all his uh, cowboy uh, uh, experiences to it. Oh, boy. <laughs> he told me, Al, you know it stinks when you open those things up. I once asked Will when he was doing a scene, I said, boy, that's an incredible performance. I said, what are you thinking about? He said, oh, like picking up my laundry. <laughs> Look at this thing. What was this? It was just a, a sculpture. Just a sculpture, yeah. And wrapped around it is basically, um, oh, it's like foam rubber. And we're pulling it off to reveal another thing underneath. It's like a, a Chinese boxes. You keep opening them up, and there's something more underneath there. Yeah, he's finding worlds after worlds here, isn't he? Yeah. We're trying to indicate that uh, this thing keeps imitating like all the way down to its core. There's nothing about it that's original. It imitates them perfectly. When this thing attacked, and we're going to go to the time cut, but uh, Brimley's explaining <laughs> the imitation. And in the process, shape its own cells to imitate them. We found it really difficult to get across to the audience something that's rather simple, which is the life cycle of this creature, that it can imitate you, and one organism can become the entire world. And again, it's a scene for you that you had to do with 12 people standing around a table after the previous scene of 12 people standing around a table. And you've got to somehow find, make it interesting for the audience and different. This, this to me, is a, would be the, the most difficult stuff as a director. I just don't know what I'd do here. I, I always was fascinated to watch and see how you were going to break this up, how you were going to move the camera and stuff, because there's just nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go, and it's thankless kind of stuff. Now, this is a scene with uh, Richard Master and uh, Will Brimley, and, and Brimley's uh, performance here is just incredible. His subtlety and his suspicion that... Uh, something is going on, and Master's very low-key indication that maybe I'm uh, not who yeah. appear to be is the beginning it's of really our, where the movie started, right? our movie begins. We really could have begun the movie here, I suppose, by starting the film with a discussion of the creature and then having this happen, but... It is the subtlety of the 
playing here. That it's the acting. Let, it's let, the acting. Let the audience mm -hmm. uh, it's think the characters. That, wait a minute. This is just starting to fall apart. Some one guy's getting suspicious of another, and the other guy's getting real defensive about it. Why are you looking at me? No reason. No reason at all. What? I don't know. It's probably nothing. It's nothing at all. We're looking at videotapes of the Norwegian camp. I'm there someplace in that videotape, okay, uh, somewhere. This is something we shot up in British Columbia. Basically, the uh, backstory of uh, unearthing the saucer. I don't know where this I am. This was the expedition of the Norwegians. That's right, and in black and white. And and uh, we're we're going to dig and plant charges and so forth. There's uh, Donald Moffat and Joel. Peter Maloney in the background there. This was a matte painting. Um, trying to show the saucer under the ground. This was a Whitlock special. And then the explosion that comes in a little bit is another Whitlock special. It was great that uh, he was able to come through for us. Whatever it was, it was bigger than that block of ice you found. And um, we're basically, uh, there we go. Yeah. There we go. And then the kind of fades around a little bit. And you're on your way here for a helicopter sequence to... Uh, this is it, the place where they're spending most to of find out what went on. You and uh, Hallahan and uh, Clennon, off you go, I think. Clennon's with you. And is a storm moving in here? I'm... I think that was the idea. Yeah. This is a rather one of our, our lucky shots we got up in Alaska in the pre-production unit. It's just beautiful clouds in the background. You can actually see for miles. That's about 30 or 40 miles back there. And uh, Not easy to get those days, was it? No, we usually usually had nothing. Yeah. Now we're up on a mountain for this stuff, and there's a matte painting, kind of amazingly done with all the bumps in it. Now we're back to our second unit, and uh, we're landing. Um, this is uh, extremely beautiful music by Ennio Morricone through this area. I felt that he really brought something. They, they were on top of this mountain, actually. We're, you're getting out into the snow, but the helicopter's bouncing around. Now that's a second unit shot. The music is really uh, stunning through here. It uh, gives you a sense of foreboding and dread. Now you're coming up and looking down yeah, this, a real glacier. This, yeah. You're looking down, and what we have there is a matte painting uh, that uh, Whitlock oversaw of the original saucer uh, buried in the ice. Now it appears that the three of you climb down the wall, but in fact, some stuntmen did it. And I think our helicopter pilot was... One was of the, he one of the guys? Yeah, he was one down. of the guys going down. And that was a long way it's, down. That's a real shot uh, in the background as they start down. In the foreground, we matted in the painting, but here you go. That's a huge yeah. side of a glacier, and that's all ice. It's all real. Down go. This was one of those sequences where we barely got the footage. And now you're walking up, and the hatch is real, but everything else is painted in, but the background is real. I love shots like this. So the hatch we had there. I'm you had the hatch. Now the hatch we cut in there. close to you. Now we're looking at gobos again. Exactly. <laughs> and nothing. Jesus. How long you figured and there's your hat. I love that hat. Yeah, oh boy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Johnny, you sure this is going to be OK? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's such a cool look. It really is. I'd say the ice is buried in is 100,000 years old, at least. 
Now, the famous studio shot that everybody talks about in this movie is coming up. That's where you have uh, actors walking on the Universal backlot right here, walking over. We didn't have a wide shot, and this was all a, a painting, basically, except for the three figures. And now we're going to cut to uh, British Columbia on our set where we dug a hole. So that last shot was done on the lot? Down the Universal backlot, yeah. That blue ice is, that is real. Blue? That's real ice. Blue, That's not blue, real ice. Now we're into some of our night sequences, which were extremely difficult to do, and a big expository scene, which I don't like doing because I didn't quite understand how to do it. I had a shot that dollies back and shows more of the room, and Dean Cundy's was upset at me because we had to pull one of the walls. He was afraid that would violate the third wall thing. If the camera goes further than the wall, the audience knows it's a set. It's about this time, too, that as a screenwriter, you'd start worrying about the audience saying, well, why don't they just call somebody? And that's, of course, why that stuff took place earlier where the radios were going down. There's a lot of problems you had to solve in this movie to isolate them and be realistic. Beautiful lighting in this scene. And, and uh, here's the shot I'm talking about as we come back and let Keith pull us around and pull behind Will, since he was against the wall, uh, Dean was afraid the audience would know what we did. I said, well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> we got to do it. <laughs> Let's do it anyway. Now, Donald's character was the, uh, he was sort of the guy in command, right? He was the right. leader of the pack. And but you always felt like he was slightly yeah. out of place being that yeah. leader. He's such a good actor. He really is great. We'd done The New Land, uh, which was a television series in the early 70s together, and I was uh, really happy to be working with him again. Made great friends on this show. I made really great friends on the show, and they had been working in the business, I remember at that point, 21 years, and they said, you know, Kurt, you gotta do a play. And they talked me into it, and I did one the next year, and uh, I was really glad I did. But I really, these, these guys were, were a great group. Now, John Wash, a friend of mine from uh, USC, uh, who designed the, uh, the graphics for Escape from New York, also designed these graphics, trying to explain the life cycle. The thing takes over one normal cell, as you can see, and we still didn't get it quite right, but it doesn't matter. And uh, it, strangely, at the time, Kurt, when we previewed the movie, we got a, somebody on the card said that there would this kind of technology doesn't exist and wouldn't exist. This kind of animation graphics. Oh, really? In computers. Huh. And it's strange now. You look at it, you see yeah, how crude it looks. Yeah, it's crude. Looks, looks like an old game of, uh, what was that? Uh, pong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a Pong game. <laughs> pong. Asteroids. <laughs> I loved Asteroids. Yeah, yeah, Asteroids is good. Asteroids, my favorite. Didn't now, we have one up there? We, we had, had it We had we, it on the set. Yeah, we had it on the set. Everybody played it. <laughs> we put this in that was uh, great. to explain what was happening. Uh, and basically the idea being that within a certain amount of time, the thing could take over the population of the Earth. Right. And the stakes then, Brimley, Brimley's character, Blair, knows the stakes. Yeah. And does what he does next is entirely understandable. 27,000 hours from first contact. And uh, so we're into apocalypse. I mean, we're into the end of the world unless action is taken. So he's going to have to, uh, he's really going to have to do something. Now, we had big discussions that about whether you would know you were the thing Right, I remember it, it got just, it imitated. Just, yeah, it got so deep as you thought about it. You'd get more and more into it, and then finally you realized you couldn't ever possibly figure out. We didn't know whether 
ourselves where we would know whether we had been taken over because it takes you over so perfectly. So, for instance, would McCready, is he, if he's a thing right now, would he would know he? Yeah. he was a thing? <laughs> yeah. Or would he continue to act like a human being? Right. Or would you try to hide it and pretend you're okay? <laughs> it was really fun to think about. Yeah, it really was. Endless discussions about that. Now, this interior here was actually shot up there on British Columbia on our set. We did this whole sequence up there because John Lloyd had built a little room for us. And uh, outside is the real thing. This was rather cold. And uh, I had done some rewriting at this point, so we wanted to clarify the, some of the story. Joel Polis comes up and asks you to go out in the thiac hall and discuss things. And we have another little uh, setup scene here where Bennings gets taken over. And uh, well, a rather last-minute thing because the thing was out of the movie for a while, and I wanted to keep it alive. I was going to say you got to start thinking about that, don't you? At this point, well, what's gone on for the last few minutes? And where are we now? He he opens up, uh, looks at the sculpture that Rob did once again, and all this was shot up there on location. So it's slightly different. We were a little bit tired and hung over by this point in the filming. So we were there for what three and a half weeks. It was about three weeks, maybe a little longer. We were trying to get home for Christmas. That's right. And uh, we barely made it out. <laughs> That's a great shot there. <laughs> that old horror movie stuff where the monster's moving. And basically, the thing is still alive. They haven't discovered a way except to burn it yet, and they can't really kill it that way. We had some tentacles. Rob gave us some rubber stuff to take up with us. Oh, That's great. The next scene, exterior, you and Joel Polis are out uh, talking. This is a, a rather cold but beautiful night, and... Uh, this stuff was rough. It was pretty tough. To this see. stuff was rough because after being in the, the room all day, and that was the thing, is that you could never really get warm because that, that couldn't be warmed up because the snow would melt off the roof, so you were kind of... Everybody kind of got slowed down, and I was amazed that the lenses and stuff did so well up there. They did pretty good. We had to leave them outdoors. We couldn't bring them inside or they'd never, fog up. You can never get them warm. But you guys were, what I, what I loved about it was the actors are always ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> always ready to go. They loved this movie. They really did. And committed to uh, playing it and, and getting past the extreme difficulty of the conditions we were working under. Some of us were living in just huts down the hill and we'd have to, to come up the mountain every day to, to location. And it yeah, was that, something else. Right up the hill was pretty exciting in itself. Remember, was it 26 miles? 26 miles. And from every mile there would be a cutout where the, a truck could go outside because the ones barreling downhill never stopped. Couldn't stop, right. right? So they'd had those walkie-talkies and they'd call out their checkpoints and when they got close, the one going uphill would find the next nearest dig out and, and get in there get quick. in there quick. Because the truck they, coming yeah, down is not going to stop for you. And to make you know that it was all true, remember we, you, every once in a while you'd see those trucks that had gone down from falling. Look at this. <laughs> the poor guy had to take his uh, shirt off up there in the, in the cold and do it. I'll get Gary, we'll meet in Blair's work. So now we're getting into uh, what happens to Bennings. Here comes Tommy Waits running out. It's Bennings. Joe Dante saw this at my house on tape. He said, well, you dollied over and dollied back. That's low budget filmmaking. <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> We're about to uh, go out and burn uh, Bennings 
Oh, boy, I'll never forget this. I almost got hurt on this. This is the first time this, anything like this would ever happen to me. You watch watch the explosion here and watch me, and you'll see. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be quite this big. <laughs> now, is that the one where you threw the dynamite? Yeah. No, that's later. Is that later on? Yeah, this is the one where you... you uh, we just burn him. We just burn him. Now, those those are real flares. I don't know about you, but I got my fingers burned <laughs> oh, more times on those things. So he's got some, some claws on, and he makes a growl, and... Basically, you kick over a gasoline drum and and uh, and drop the torch in. See you, Peter. See you later, man. And we're out there in it. It's uh, it's grim. It doesn't look quite so bad now, but we've got snow coming down, and and it's not fun. Now you're set the dummy on fire, and good stuff. Cool stuff. What I like about that is if that's, if that's in a different movie and you start the fire the other way, of course the can explodes. <laughs> that, couldn't be our, that couldn't be our problem. This was shot at Heartland as we were doing effects. We added this to kind of clarify things. And, and uh, Donald's starting to go. <laughs> starting to go a little bit. and It also shows that McCready just takes care of business. He has a job to do. and He's accepted what some of the others can't accept. Here we are. We have to take care of business and get it done. So... And what's good about this, too, I think, is at this point, the audience did believe that the people were human beings. We weren't cartoon characters. They were human lives, and it, it was a tough thing to have to kill another person that you'd known. That's right. It was believable. That's right. I, mean, I think the, the successful films always have that element of believability in them, no matter where they are, that you can hang on to. Here you actually give a pretty good goose with the old flamethrower there. This is kind of fun. That flamethrower was pretty, pretty cool rig. There you go. Boy, that gas came out of that thing. We're burning up some uh, phony corpses there. We had a British Columbian crew with us. They were a lot of fun. They really got some good shots since with the second camera. No women. No women in the movie. No. That that was kind of, as I remember, think, we, we talked about that at the time. There, there hadn't been a movie for a long time that had no women in it. Zero women. I mean, no, nowhere. Yeah. I love the lighting that Dean did with the blue uh, lights. Those were actually uh, from airports. Oh, They're no. airport markers. But the deep blue of them was really spooky on the snow and very pretty. The lighting's great. It really is beautiful. I can't find Blair. Now, Joel Polis uh, is explaining what's going on and, and who he can't find. And this is a moment in the movie where we take a kind of a pause. Um, Trying to figure things out. Now that people are getting real suspicious, he's getting suspicious of me. It's a bad scene. Yeah, the uh, intimacy of the movie, I think, starts to really take hold here and the fact that these guys are stuck up there together and there's nobody else around. Now, um, we don't know who that is, but it is uh, supposedly Blair, who's destroyed the helicopter so that you guys can't get any place. And he's going to destroy the radio so you can't contact anyone because he's convinced 
that uh, all of you or one of you is the thing. That's one of those scenes where the similarities of the wardrobe worked well for the screenplay because... Who's who? Who's who. Kind of a spooky shot of a helicopter under a tarp. And uh, we don't know why you find that flashlight. <laughs> but we do find it. And so we can do this little trick here. This was a mock-up of a helicopter, not a real one. And it was way oversized. We blew but it up. This was still out there, wasn't it? This was still on location. Uh-huh. We're still in British Columbia. Now, you heard a gunshot, and you're going to run inside. And we're Try back. To... <laughs> <laughs> well, Try you're to... doing your best. Try to run the snow. <laughs> Nice little panaglide shot down our set hallway, and we're into the Blair scene. This is one of my favorite scenes because of great. how nuts oh, Wheels goes. Nice hit there. And then, unlike uh, the original movie, there's not quite a scene like this where the men have to work together to try to subdue one of their own. He's just going to town in there, and poor uh, Tommy Waits is underneath it all. We ran uh, two cameras on this and just let Will go for it. Most of you don't know what's going on around here. Hold on, damn Will. Sure, some of you do. Christ. Now, it, you might notice uh, uh, Keith's left hand. He hides behind you. <laughs> he, had, he had broken it in a car accident. And it had this gigantic uh, bandage on it, so we had to put a a glove over it and paint it black so that he could continue acting. <laughs> Get a table from the lab. Ah, yeah. Oh, go for it, Will. <laughs> and Will is really going to go now. <laughs> Wanted to be us, Will said, which is a, a very chilling line, and I, I just think he did a great job. Now, there's going to be a... <laughs> A little scuffle here in a second uh, that Will was very worried about. He was worried about getting hurt. You can see... He's going to have nine guys charging him. <laughs> he blasts towards uh, Keith Whoa. David there. And I'll kill you. <laughs> opens it up. Throws Go the for gun. it, Will. There you go. And here you come. Here's what he... Look, watch him as he backs up. There you go. He doesn't yeah. want to get hit too hard. <laughs> People go flying. Everybody loved taking their own stunts here. <laughs> He was throwing things around. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Poor Tommy can't join in the fun. So we have to deal with Blair now and isolate him from the group because he's too nuts. And he gives a, a scene that's coming up was one of my favorites in the movie where, where you have to uh, explain to him that uh, trust is a tough thing to come by right. these days. Right. And I thought that was yeah. kind of the summation of the movie. Now, this one, this is, okay, I don't remember this scene. Uh, had Will, got, was the idea that somebody had got, somebody had gotten in there and killed one of the dogs? And yeah, maybe it was, killed all the dogs. And killed all the dogs. Now, you're leading Blair out to uh, this shack where you're going to keep him. This looks like pretty terrible weather for us here. They're barricading him in, and one of our famous needle shots. You know, oh, yeah. people have told me that that bothers them more, more than, than anything. anything else. Now, yeah. did somebody have to volunteer for that shot? Our camera operator, Ray yeah. Stella, he said, I can do this all day. <laughs> Ray's in rehab now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite lines coming up here, and Blair doesn't know who to believe, doesn't know who to trust. I don't know who to trust. 
know what you mean, Blair. Trust's a tough thing to come by these days. Tell you what, why don't you just trust in just the Lord? Just trust in the Lord, Blair. <laughs> Watch, Clark. And he starts sowing the seeds of, uh, of descent here about Watch. Clark. Watch him. Clark. And watch him close, do you hear? And in a minute, we're going to get into... Uh, uh, <laughs> that was great to the... <laughs> and really, really great. well done. Yeah. I mean, he really pulled it off. Pulled off this whole character. Well, now, radio's gone. And so are the choppers. Yeah, we're completely cut off. All we can do now is... Hold up till spring, wait for the rescue team. No, we don't wait. Somebody in this camp ain't what he appears to be. So right we're now, outside discussing some sort of a blood test. Is there a so way to take care of things? If I was an imitation, a perfect imitation, how would Again, you know one of our really, really uh, bad days in terms of weather. I remember when we looked at this uh, halfway through the movie, Thinking of all these guys looking the same, you couldn't. It was going to be very difficult to discern one person from the other. This was the scene that got everybody talking throughout the whole movie. We never figured out. You could never figure this out. I know. That's what you got. You and we talked about the ending of the movie for the whole movie. So uh, the blood test scene, actually, when when uh, uh, Richard Dysart discovers the open bags of blood and all the men come into the room is probably the biggest nightmare scene for me as a director that I've had. That, that day I arrived on set and I found all of you there ready to act with lines. I had no idea what to do. I had never been confronted with that before. Standing looking. It was terrible. We're coming up to that scene in a moment. This is fairly easy though. This was a limited number of people. It's still always difficult to uh, in the amount of time you have to make a film to make sure that that you uh, cover a scene correctly. I probably shouldn't use the word cover. But <laughs> so here we move up to the dripping blood and we realize now that somebody has sabotaged all their blood supply and now we're into my nightmare scene. Well, who's got access to it? Yeah, this is where the paranoia starts to really grab a hold, isn't it? It is, and it's a, as you can see from the lighting, it's kind of dark and, and shaded slightly. And we creep to the right here with the camera and revealing uh, Dysart. And he begins to distrust uh, Donald Moffat, and Moffat begins to distrust everybody. It's a really it turned out to be a terrific scene. But did I have a clue of how to do it when I got there in the morning? No, I had no idea. Great. When was the last time you used it? Huh? A day or so ago, I guess. I suppose somebody could have lifted it off me. Oh, that's come on. The paranoia is the glue that holds the movie together. It's, of course, I think the most disturbing thing for the audience. That's what bothered them so much. And uh, I always felt the characters reflected their time just as Hawks' original movie, his characters reflected theirs. This is the time that we are living in. Yeah. This is, it really is where the movie shifts into third gear and starts on its way. There we go. Now we have a confrontation where it's a battle for leadership, but when you have men under these conditions without leaders, uh, just like any nation, survival of it comes down to a real grim scene. Listen to Gary. You're going to let him give the orders? I mean, 
he could be one of those things. And this was a difficult scene again for me to stage because of the shape of the hallway. I had a, right. a T-shape and I had to get all of you in there. Right. On the floor. It seems so easy to direct movies when you're looking at them and, and thinking about them, but boy, to get out and do it is tough. That's right. The taking of the gun here was a turning point in the movie where you... This was the first... This is what we talked about the first time where you begin to see uh, McCready assert himself. Who everybody can control. Mm -hmm. And he really doesn't particularly want control. He right. just wants to uh, kind of uh, survive the situation. I give you my word, I did not go near that. Blood. So um, uh, Gary gives up his command, but but tries to give the gun to right. to someone else. Clark and uh, I guess you'll all feel and Childs have a little fight over it. Charlie Hallahan is not prepared to take over. He's uh, a little too scared. Where? I can't see anybody objecting to you. Yeah, but who's it going to go to? Goes to Norris, but Norris I refuses. I, I, I don't think I'm up to it. <laughs> I'll take it. I tell you, Will. <laughs> somebody a little more even-tempered, child. Nobody wants that. Except for your character, who uh, I think... To me, is somebody we all need in, in a time of crisis. of crisis, except that you turn out to be someone who they suspect later. Yep. When this point in the movie gets completely claustrophobic, as night hits, we really don't ever come out of it. It's uh, it's a lot of doom, and uh, we're now doing a scene that we shot up in our location that I know I'm we kind of uh, wrote when we were up there. Uh, to burn the blood. Burn the blood, and you give a little speech about yeah, that's right. What we have to do. This was this was the the moment where I felt McCready uh, took stage and really explained to the audience what was going on in their dilemma. That was the one thing that we didn't have at that point. That's right. Forgotten that too. You also came up with a final line for the movie too. On location, we talked about it forever and ever, didn't we? We just how are we going to end this? How are we going to end this story? But this scene does set that up. And it also sets up that, that McCready, for all his isolation as a character, for all his problems, is someone who is a realist. He's grasping the situation and trying to find a way out. Gary and Clark, move over there, away from the others. So we're laying in, there's a storm, we're laying in that they're trapped, and uh, kind of laying the ground rules for um, the last part of the picture. You know, it's at this stage of the game where I like to look at a movie and try to... Hopefully the movie's allowed you to be able to say to yourself, now, if I were there, what would I be like? What would I do? What would I be thinking? I think we'd all love to believe that we'd rise to the heroic moment. I'm not so sure. I think I'd probably be on the floor crying, kicking my heels. And we're shooting up the characters with drugs and, and uh, keeping the, the ones obviously under suspicion and have drugged out. Here's another one of our famous uh, in-your-face uh, shots. Again, in goes the needle. In the, Is that in, Ray? That's Ray again, yeah. He wanted to do every one of them. And another added scene that we put in later um, where you're dictating the uh, maybe your memoirs into this uh, tape recorder. And we're starting to all get real tired now, too, because uh -huh. we've been up for a long time. And no one's sleeping because no one can trust. Because if you go to right. sleep, you're afraid that someone's going to take right. you over, rip your clothes right. to shreds, and 
and uh, absorb you and imitate you. We're wondering now whether there's somebody might come in that door in the back, and yet, rather than put a shadow of a person and suspect you, I decided simply to cut to, in a second, a shot from behind. I remember dealing in my mind with the fact that, is McCready a creature or not? Right. For a long time, I, I was hoping maybe we could do something where you were. Yes. But then I thought, well, maybe not. I'm not so sure they want to see that. <laughs> so instead, we made it ambiguous. It's not the height of technology with that little tape recorder, but... There's nothing else I can do. You do look tired and in pain almost about the situation. Yeah, he's starting to, it's, it's like it's starting to get to him, and uh -huh. he's, and he's, uh, he's just about had it. There's the I shot. I love those two shots. It, you just felt like somebody was watching uh -huh. somehow. That was great. Now we're on a, a split diopter here where both the character in foreground and background are in focus. Luckily, we have dark to cover it, and things are really getting serious now. Nobody trusts anybody. Joel is about to... Uh, we're about to have lights out, and Joel is about to run outside and, and meet his doom. We actually had a sequence where the lights went out that we shot, but uh, it didn't turn out as well as we wanted it to, so we kind of faked it through here. This was part of the thing. With this look here, we tried to uh, drag the look out on Joel a little bit to try to start to make McCready somehow maybe suspicious here. <laughs> We're looking for our little spots. The lights go down, and um, we're in an insert uh, stage at this point, trying to cover up some things that we cut. Now we're back on our set. The entire sequence was lit this blue, and it really didn't uh, it didn't hold. But this is pretty interesting—a little cheap uh, horror movie scare—and and now he's outside. Joel is in trouble. He's about to meet. Uh, his doom. Joel was very excited. This was his first movie ever. Was I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was from New York, and he was just having a blast. And now we lay a little uh, suspicion here on you. Perhaps uh, you've been absorbed. Remember those flares? Burn Brothers. your hand. Burn your lungs. It was terrible. Anybody see Fuchs? So now we're into it. We've got to go find out what happened. Somebody the lights were off, and you're sort of uh, really taking charge here. People are falling apart. All right. we got to find him. Nalls, why don't you come with me, and we'll look outside. Now we're going to team up here. You and Windows, check the inside. I ain't going with Windows. I ain't going with Windows. <laughs> we're, we're gonna... <laughs> One of my favorite lines yeah. coming up from you. It was really great the way you uh, assumed uh, control over the situation here. Norris, you stay here. Any of them move, you fry them. You hear anything. Anything at all, you cut loose on the sirens. We all meet back here in 20 minutes regardless. So in a minute, you're going to be framed for something that, that isn't true, and we're going to get into one of our amazing effect sequences, at least it. There would be nothing else you could do except team up and hope the guy you were with was okay. That was... Uh, we turned the Ritters on for that one. Yes, we did. It was unpleasant enough, but we decided to get some little wind going. Hey, Flair! 
one of my favorite uh, scenes. This is where I think Blair wants to come back inside. He has a hangman's rope. <laughs> a little touch by Bill Lancaster. Funny things. I hear funny things out here. Will's performance here was hysterical. I've used it many times since. It's so great. It ain't pukes. I'm all better now, and I want to come back inside. I'm not going to harm anybody, and there's nothing wrong with me. And if there was, I'm all better now. This was actually shot on a soundstage at Universal, and uh, you're selling that uh, flare pretty good there, Kurt. You have it right up right up against your face. I know. It's not, it's not, I was going to say, Kurt, can you get the flare a little bit high? Well, you know... I'm doing the best I can here. <laughs> Set my beard on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, ah, well. Man's got to do what he's got to do. Now we find out with Joel Polis's fate. Uh, Fuchs ran outside and was we assume absorbed by somebody or somewhere or something and how do we know we see his glasses uh, right by this point in the film uh, one wonders how these guys gonna ever get out of this it's it's like this incredible disease that's spreading but it's also their emotional state there right no one trusts anyone yeah I think that's uh, the end of uh, Fuchs now they're trying to figure out if you'd have time to commit suicide before <laughs> before it could take you over. Great. Now what are we gonna do? It was an interesting situation to be up in a in a location like this. Uh, I felt that it it, it only helped you guys in your performances. Now? Being up here in the Oh yeah, it was great because even when you were on the set in uh, Los Angeles in between shots, you're walking outside, it was 100 degrees, so you'd be snapping in and snapping out. But what was interesting about this is I remember we got those little sheets of paper that talked about people after they'd been in lonely situations for a long time, and they their first thing would go is their appearance, and then they'd begin to steal things and whatnot. And I, I felt like that I, that was happening to all the actors on the show. Yeah, I got a little nuts. Yeah, it did start, I mean, it didn't fall apart, but it was, it, it got to be tougher and tougher and tougher. You could understand what would happen to people down there. Yes. In, uh, completely isolated yeah. like this. How Well, there crazy. was nothing else to look at because it was all white. Everything was completely white. There was nothing to look at but the people. The inside of the set is very bland. There's yeah. nothing to see here. It's all functional. So what would happen but your face? We talk, It was interesting. I remember some of the conversations that we had. Uh, you really find out a lot about somebody very quickly. The crew, the actors, everybody. So now we're setting up uh, Charlie Hallahan's heart condition here as uh, someone is coming back from the shack up there. Now we start kicking things into another gear here after a little paranoia. Now it's going to be let's take some action. Then comes TK. He did a good job being cold here, didn't he? Yes, he did. Where's McGrady? I cut him loose of the line of bias. So basically, uh, yeah. you know, you're the man they suspect now. Yeah. And uh, we're getting into one of my favorite sections of the film from here through the uh, blood test. I just love. Yeah, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper now with, with paranoia. On the tow line on the way back. 
I cut him loose. McCready? He's one of them. When do you think it got to him? I don't know. And I think that it was important for the audience here to uh, believe that it could be McCready. And not having been someone who was take charge from the beginning uh, really allowed you to believe that. It was such an ensemble movie. Uh -oh. uh. <laughs> kind of old 1930s haunted house kind of movie technique, but that's where we were at this point. And you're going to break into the storeroom and uh, threaten them with dynamite. It was fun shooting these scenes. Everybody was so good. It was uh, it was pretty easy for me to to direct, just put the camera up and say go. Childs, what if we wrong about him? Why then we wrong? Supply window. All right, all right. We got no choice now. We had to have uh, Keith David break through that door with an axe, and he actually went right at it. You notice everybody else is moving away slightly. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. An axe, a car, you never know. An actor, actor gets something, a deadly weapon in his hand. You get frightened. This was a great uh, lighting in here, too, because mm -hmm. he looked like a ghost here. Just looks like, absolutely like a ghost. Anyone messes with me and the whole camp goes. So here you are, all bundled up with all this makeup on. It must not have been a whole lot of fun. And it tasted like sugar on the sides oh, of your mouth. It was... That flare is and up it, there. Yeah. You're doing a good job of kind of hiding part of it, too, except for this, this part where it's, it's bald. But boy, it looks good. It was a really nice... Uh, Nice job there. Yeah, you're hiding it with your body. They lift it a little bit there. Yeah. That's, That's right. It was a... Uh, how did that work? Now, you just dropped it down right. so it didn't flare the camera lens. You know, Cundy was yelling at you all the time. Same thing. Don't argue with him. Now, you get jumped from the inside a little bit here, and you had this flare. We had to get rid of it quick. Yeah. Nope. Well, you held on to it. Oop, <laughs> yeah. good. Down he goes. You back up. Well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah, man, just relax. Yeah, those flares were dripping this this crap on you, and it was pretty bad. I got burned yeah. in my flesh yeah, on my hands. Yeah, anywhere near them. And it, it wasn't fun at all. And you breathe this stuff, and it makes you want to give up and go home. Oh, I remember that, too. They lasted for about 90 seconds. And then they're and out. And then you had to pick the scene up. And do it again. Or try to do it a little faster. <laughs> try to get one more line in. Get him in here. And bring the others. Now nobody gets out of my sight. Now we're into the uh, the scene where they're trying to resuscitate Norris on the table and into one of our effects scenes that's probably the most, as far as I'm concerned, one of the craziest done. This People still talk about this one. <laughs> It's really something. Never occurred to the jury that anybody could have got some of my clothes and stuck them up the front. Rather than give all the secrets away of the thing, I will just tell you that that everything you see that we do here is all basically built and on the set in front of us. It was nothing that we'd put in later. And, and Charlie had to lay down and not move for eight. What was it? Eight hours. Eight hours. Eight hours for makeup. This uh, for this one was two shots. He had to do it I'll twice. show you the shot. He had to lay down there, and his chest had to open up. Coming up here in a second. Now he's he's doing it normally now. The next uh, it's coming up here in, in just as Dysart right there. Whoa! <laughs> Bango. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yep, yeah. Yep. Whoa, boy. Yep. There he goes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I love this one. Look at that. Pretty disgusting, isn't it? Oh, man. It's Larry Franco stepping in for it's, you there. Yeah. And you're about to blast it. Blastola. And here we go. Stretch with the oh, neck. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the best line of the movie coming up. The head moves away and goes down to the floor. Just this, wild. This was all on an insert stage later after we'd finished the picture. And uh, so we shot you here shooting away and burning uh, earlier. And then we put this in later. Look at this. This is a reverse action cut as it finds something to grab onto. And you're letting the thing burn up, which I think is probably a very good idea. The head pulls itself across the floor. It's about to grow some other appendages and start to move in a minute, which is, I think, a kind of an incredibly genius idea. Okay, man, let's give it a shot. It's just wild, and it is. It's just, when you've got the same, theoretically the same gag that you're going to do over and over, how do you, how do you keep making it different? Look at that. This is all operated from underneath. Uh, it's a phony floor, and we're just pushing everything out. Now we're trying to hold hold everything together at the same time we're trying to tear it apart. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. I'd never have seen anything like this in a movie before or after. Now we have a little radio control thing in the background that's crawling away. <laughs> this line here is my favorite. You gotta be fucking kidding. <laughs> Oh, man. And that's another one of those live flame bursts that you did. Yeah. And we put the set on fire once again. Two cameras running. There's the one in the hall that's picking it up. That's a quite a little baby there. How'd you do those sound effects? What would you use? Did I you... have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Windows. Here we are in my favorite scene. Kurt, this is the reason I wanted to make this movie, was uh, the blood it's... test scene. The blood test scene. I really liked the conclusion that McCready came to, and I liked the uh, the build-up. Um, it starts earlier before everyone's tied up, and uh, Clark gets his comeuppance. We had to be real careful with this. Uh, when he charges you, you had to shoot him point-blank. Yep. So we used a quarter load, as I remember, but still, we were all really worried. And it was a headshot, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And he was right next to you. This is, this is great, because this, this is where they were getting down to it. I mean it. <laughs> Real dramatic moment, and we're going to do this in one uh, quickie. Bang! That was tough. Yeah, I was really worried about it, yeah. uh, but it worked out. Yeah, it was tough. This is bullshit, Mac. Finish it, Palmer. They're dead, Mac! Windows. And again, you know, that testing the blood thing, it makes you think about things like identifying as quickly and as succinctly as possible. It really brings it up when you think about it. I mean, in this case, identifying who the creature is is a moment of surviving and, and living. 
And it's about life. And yeah, we're beginning to understand too that that thing just wants to survive. And it's an organism. It's just like us. We could go to another planet and and eat plants. And from the plants' point of view, uh, that's <laughs> this right. horrendous looking monster. And the issue that McCready comes up with, which I like, is that he realizes that there is no individuality in this creature. Right. That every cell is an individual on its own surviving. That it has no feelings of wanting to work for a group. It doesn't uh, have any instincts above its own survival. And he figures out that if the blood screams, well, guess what? You're a creature. Now, there's a, we spent a long time shooting this scene. God, this was hard because of the way the stuff was rigged up. Yep. And this got everybody, too, in the audience. They couldn't stand the phony uh, blood on the knife. I, I never could understand this. I thought... Yeah, it's, it's just the cutting. These, I know. These simple little things after. I guess it's a, it's some sort of... Uh, I would say in the same area of comic relief, it, it's like if you're set up by other scenes to make you feel a certain way, then you do some little thing, and uh, it has great impact. I think it's the sound effect here. I yeah, mean, he has a effect. tube on the back of that thing, yeah. guys. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and there it goes. It looked kind of silly when you think about it, but... But people got, uh, they wussed out on us and got real. <laughs> it did, all these things did pile up on the audience. I remember the time they just over the oh, they were shook. They were stuff. shook by it. And uh, one of the reviews, I, at the time, called me a pornographer of violence. <laughs> 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 Made me think about my career there. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Actually, now. when you look at it, I mean, I think it's. it's uh, it's done very subtly. I mean, it really is. It's not. I mean, the, the the monster is so insane that it seemed easy to me to get past the monster and into the story of paranoia. But it, at the time, but at it the just time, wasn't. it didn't. It was. They, they criticized us for not having women. Yeah. For all being all men. Right. And uh, they criticized us for having a lack of hope. Um, well, just one of the, you know they haven't found a. Uh, they haven't found a cure here yet at this point. No, and I, I always felt that it, that there was something uplifting okay. about these men who were trying, struggling, and then in the end willing to give their own lives yeah. to stop it from spreading right. to if the that, rest of the... At least that would give it a chance. And, of course, I always thought that at the end, when we see that too, it would remind me of it, but they couldn't let both of them die without yeah. being burned. So yes. one of these guys was going to either have to make a move or, or torch each other if they were truly going to save the world. And... You and I could never figure out if that how to do it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Let's try the Doc and Clark. So we're uh, we're finding out that a lot of people are human, and we're wondering now about uh, now, about your hypothesis that the blood's going to do anything. Yeah. No, one's, no right. one really believes you at this point. At this point, uh, I suppose we can tell it now, you're, that's a phony hand with a, our gag already set up. And, and I wanted to establish it in a cut early so that you, you wouldn't right. think about it. Right, right. And uh, because it is a, definitely a phony hand. This is pure nonsense. doesn't prove a thing. Uh, that's phony... Maloney. You were the only one that could have got to that blood. And we're about to crank this baby here and get going. Dango. Whoa! <laughs> Hello. Uh-oh. We tilt the table Look to make that. the blood run, and uh, here he goes. Now, this transformation wasn't quite what we wanted, but you know what? It, it worked out all right. Now, oh, this is great. Somehow you're... Uh, it was jammed. We had to come up with that, too, because we yes, kind of we sat did. there and said, well, how, well, why would he just sit there? 
We had to come up with a lot of stuff. Look at this. Very quickly cut, so you can't really see what's going on. And now, up he goes. Boom. That was a great. He comes back down again. Now we had this creature that Rob brought us. Uh, Look at that. It splits open and wraps his, puts his head in, and up he goes. <laughs> just ate and his head. We just shoot, shoot this it is... uh, every way we could. <laughs> It, it is completely, like, completely it's nuts. crazy. It's nuts. It's just it's, crazy. It's a nightmare. It really is a vision of hell, as far as I'm I mean, concerned. I wouldn't, I mean... Can you imagine this? If, it, if this was happening in front of me in reality, I would say, well, yeah. I, I guess... Uh, I guess that's about it. That. Oh, he's been... <laughs> it's all slimed, baby. There you got it. And now we do the, the burn. Now, this was I don't reminiscent of... Uh, this is like the first one. The yeah. first one, yeah. But... Um, I rather didn't enjoy this. We had to do it twice because yeah, this was tough. Was it was that Dick Warlock or who? No, that was Tony Cesare. And Man, here he man. goes outside. Now we Jeez. had to. There we go outside. This is. Oh yeah. This, when you threw the dynamite oh, here, brother, I want to tell you something. That woke me up in a hurry. You weren't ready for this no, explosion. It was over before it happened. Watch yourself now as you throw this back there. Whammo, oh, man! It went boy. right by me. I mean, I felt stuff go through me on that. <laughs> I was just lucky. I was just lucky. Of course, that reaction was taken. Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is days later. <laughs> that was a retake. <laughs> we have some people on the other side of this wall who are operating the hands and legs on sticks. Oh, this was tough, too, because you're burning a and you're, guy who's still a human being. And you're setting him on fire, and these guys behind the wall are, basically, the wall's on fire. Yeah. They're still operating the puppet. <laughs> so they didn't enjoy it. <laughs> The sound effects were great there. They're kind of like a baby or something. Uh huh. We're gonna finish up the blood test and really find out here who's left that's a creature. Let's do it. Now, Keith David wants to get away from uh, Donald here. <laughs> Cut me loose! Cut me the hell! Come on, get me out of here! Come on, get me out of here! <laughs> Cut me loose, damn it! <laughs> now, he's the last one. That's a great guy, isn't it? And here comes the, uh, the end of the blood test, and uh, I must say I was very happy with how the scene turned out. Here comes Donald's line. I thought, well, if you guys, the audience doesn't want comic relief, I mean, here it is for you. I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this. <laughs> kind of a perfect summation. <laughs> so now we're into the... Uh, basically the final act of our picture here where you're going to go out and uh, test uh, we're going out to get Will Brimley. If he tries to make it Things are going to start to happen and we're going to get even grimmer than we have been. Right. And the stage is set, so there's only one more to find out about. As long as you guys could stay together, you're pretty clear. Now, that's a Ritter scene at night uh, with wind blowing. Uh, oh, that was, and it was blowing. It was hard to walk up that thing, I remember. 
Then we're into a set at Universal. This was built, for obvious reasons obvious in a moment, it was built up a, a story. And Blair is gone, his, the door is open, but we discover uh, underneath his shack where Blair is in fact a thing and has been building, uh, building something kind of amazing. Out of whatever he had in that uh, shack. And uh, have the heli parts and of the, the helicopter parts. and... Uh, Again, another ingenious set by uh, John Lloyd, who just did a brilliant job on the movie. This is great. The colors, uh, the set design and the costume design, we try to do a black and white movie in color. In other words, there are really no strong right. colors. Everything right. is very muted and... And of course, this is one of those who's gonna go down the hole first deals. <laughs> <laughs> down goes the commander. Actually, this was yep. a, a... He was sort of reassuming control. Uh-huh. Now we're down into our little set under here that... Uh, oh, boy. And, again, it's not fun to creep down this with those flares. They really are... You couldn't breathe back up in that tunnel particularly well. And Oh, that was... And it's a refrigerated stage, so we're trying to sell the breath. And uh, all in all, it wasn't a very fun physical no, experience. It, was really, it really was exhausting. After a whole day of that, you'd be... You'd be really tired, and then the next day was more of the same. And, uh, and you go home to the wife, they don't understand. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what's wrong, honey? Why don't you want to go out? <laughs> oh, I'm dead, man. I'm dead. It, you know, it was also one of those movies where you talk back to that, what was that John Wayne movie where they figured everybody on the set got cancer because of some asbestos uh, the or conqueror. something? Yeah, 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 conqueror. Yeah. And we began to say, well, I can remember exactly when I uh, got it. It was on the thing. And now we're showing you back in the compound that, in fact, um, something else has happened there with Childs. He was, he was actually standing guard, and now the door is open and he is gone. So uh, things are getting really grim here. We're going to blow up the saucer and... Actually, this is the kamikaze mission coming up. This is the suicide mission. We're going to shut the place down. Ooh, that looks grim. And out comes uh, Childs, who staggers around. We don't know quite what's going on here. Now the lights are going to go off. When the lights go off, it's going to be all blue and dark. The generator is shut down. I still can't decide whether Childs was a creature or not. I know. I thought that was... Uh, I cannot decide. Un yeah. There was no way of telling and no way of ever knowing. The only question you could say was, why did he leave his post? <laughs> And now the decision is made, uh, you're going to freeze very quickly. And you would, too. In, in reality, it wouldn't be long, and you guys would be toast. All you could do is start setting fire to your own surroundings. Again, you're acting with this flare um, and doing a very good job of not burning yourself with it. I mean, what we all wanted you to do was get it close enough to your face, to, and yet not too close. What can we do? What can we do? In a moment, we're going to have a, a, the, the tractor, uh, well, we're going to blow up the shed first. And, and blowing up this camp was an experience I'll never forget. Yeah. I'll never forget it as long as I live. The, the, I could not believe what it felt like to blow shacks that big. It made, this, this is also in, this, in the movie where you've told the audience, it ain't going to be a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs>
Wham. Those all remote cameras doing a lot of this. That one was nothing compared to what's coming up. We're, we're really going to blow this whole place to smithereens. And now in comes a tractor, and uh, someone who looks a lot like you is driving it. <laughs> As it goes through the stage floor into the sub-basement below our floor and kind of gets stuck. And now you guys, uh, the three of you, are going to set fire to our stages at Universal on the inside. We had the fire department standing by and fire extinguishers, but still, you, you'd hate to be responsible for burning down Burbank. And that cuts in between outside and inside here. Where, and this is, uh, this outside stuff coming in was, uh, that, this Boom. outside stuff, look at that. <laughs> it went, it went. And I remember now everybody uh, up when we were in Alaska talking about, you know, what, what, if this, what if this thing's a little stronger than they figured that doesn't really go up too good? What were you going to do if that explosion would have just sort of half done? I guess you'd have to live with it. or You'd have to live with it or, or try, an, try a, it. a special effect. Yeah, a special effect it later. Put over an explosion or something. We were actually blowing these rooms uh, yeah. and moving down this hallway. Um, And now we finally got it done. Now we've set the whole thing on fire in that shot, and we're coming over to you guys. And you're going to go down into one of the, our prettiest sets, which is the basement below everything, where uh, the generator is. And uh, I thought John Lloyd did an incredible job with this. And Dean Cundy's lighting was extraordinary. You're dealing with only fires and those flares that you're, you're carrying. And uh, it just did an incredible job. This was being shot in sequence, John, or was this, I don't remember now. This we shot before we went up to Alaska. That's right, yeah. We shot all our interiors, and then we went up. Now, that's, that's a sound stage with, the, with this whole underground built uh, and refrigerated. Yeah. And uh, the steam coming out and the flares and smoke. <laughs> it really was unpleasant, but it looked beautiful for us. We have water dripping down as the place is melting. Actually, it was a very big set. These little tunnels going in various places. It was a weird scene, too, because you know these three guys are, are now in their coffin, getting ready to do themselves in. I always thought this was a whole lot like an old World War II picture where, yeah. you know, you had to carry out the mission right. because for a greater cause, and I felt... It's gone, McCready. <laughs> the voice of doom. Oh, boy. All right. We've got to bring this whole place right down. We're going to find out in a moment what happened to Blair. He's going to make a, a brief reappearance. Originally in the script, I believe, he didn't. But uh, you, Yeah, that's right. You brought him back. We brought him back just to let the audience know yeah. that he was, in fact, a, a creature. You think about this, and you'd hate to be one of those three guys, but you knowing that. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You're dead. Now we're into um, a really neat part of the set, which we we assume that this area has, you know, gotten so cold, and this is the the junk that they've put in there. And really, uh, everything is lit by the the helmet he's wearing, and it's very moody and. Great spook coming up here, huh? And this was the scene in which. Uh, I asked Will Brimley what he was thinking, and he said picking up his laundry as an actor. 
<laughs> which gave me some insight into him. But, you know, he, he takes his job very seriously, and he's a really terrific actor. That is great. Around the corner he comes, no cheap horror movie scare. <laughs> Reverse shot, uh, done with Donald. Look at that. And uh, that's the laundry scene. <laughs> that's actually Rob Bottin's hand and Donald Moffat's face. It was it wasn't the most fun to do, but Donald was an old trooper and and really a pro. Out in style. <laughs> <laughs> Pay it off, or <laughs> that's the end of that. And now we assume that Blair has really mutated now. In a moment, we're going to get into uh, the charge of the thing under the uh, boards. That was a little tough to do. Oh, it wasn't easy, was it? Because there was no way to rehearse it. Nope. There, there was we just, just had to do we it. We had to do it and just keep running. Now, uh, TK disappears here, and you're all alone. How's it and, coming uh, in there? Dum, dum. I said, how's it? I always thought this, this particular period through here where, you, where we took a beat and you're ready to blow the place and it was really nice. You don't know what, quite what's back there, and Cundy's lighting is just sort of suggesting little things. And yeah. It's what's in your mind more than anything else. And, I suppose if I could have gotten that hat back on your head, I would have been happy. <laughs> Thanks. I do appreciate that. I never let it go, though. It wasn't leaving me. And uh, basically, we had a track built under the set with a big ball that was uh, compound roped off and pulled. That's actually, uh, I believe that's Dick Warlock preparing for his stunt. This was so weird because there was no way to rehearse it. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> Multiple cameras coming towards you. Here goes Warlock and takes a dive. You land, and up comes a uh, Boom. Uh, Randy Cook uh, animated a creature here. We ended up using parts of that part there, and this blast up. And then we cut to our biggest uh, monster effect. 50 people were operating this from underneath, and uh, it was a last minute thing. The big boy. And out comes the dog. We were now, kind of. They all do. They all come out here. Do they, all the things that it's that kind a of. There's a dog, and, and then there's a half monster, and it's Blair, and it's it was pretty big. It, there's the Blair man. Yeah. It was. This was a tough one. It took us uh, quite a bit to get it done. Nice tuck and roll. Yeah. And this we, was. Then what do we say here? I remember this one too. Yeah. What should we say here? <laughs> My sentiments exactly. And up goes the entire camp. Uh, it's we were way away from this camp, and and uh, the size of the explosion was something I had never seen before. And uh, these are remote cameras that are photographing it from the ground. It, I, there would be no way we could be there. Boy, those explosions happen quick. They really. <laughs> and then they're over. Look at that. Well, that must have been the last night. Well, right? remember, we had to reshoot this yeah, as no, the no, Norwegian no, no, camp that's when right. you arrived to it. So. That's right. Now we're into the final moments of the movie, which we discussed and talked about. And oh. 
We just didn't know. We said, if, if you do you know if you're the thing? Does it know if it knows that you know you're the thing? And on and on and on. And how would you stop it? And, and, and as a director, you know, you would say to me, these guys <coughs> can't let themselves live, John. They have to kill each other. And I would think to myself, well, I can't have you two burn each other as the end of my picture. So you came up with a final moment. The studio originally wanted to find out what would happen if you didn't reintroduce Childs, so they had me preview a scene where you cut right there. And, and wasn't there some talk about a helicopter comes in, they've, they've arrived, and you don't and know that. And that, that wasn't There's, it, guys. We have to end it with our guys. It was generic. The ending is generic to what the movie's about. It's, you have to finish off their story and tell their story, and that's it. Did you kill us? Where were you, Childs? I thought your ending line, I thought this entire ending of the movie was incredible. It would be, uh, it would be what I would, uh, would want, and uh, I was extremely happy yeah, with it. That's where he explained what he was doing, looking for Blair. He saw uh -huh. Blair, and he was walking by us. So everybody was perfectly set up. The only thing we did know at this point was that McCready was not, right? Didn't he could have been. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> I mean, he was just, we, we didn't see him for a while. <laughs> you guys did a great job here, I thought, just uh, really playing this, this moment out. If you're worried about me, if we've got any surprises for each other. And as the light is kind of getting darker and darker on you, the two men are going to freeze or die or something. They both got a weapon. They can kill each other. What are we going to do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? And I thought uh, it was a great line, and I'm extremely proud of the film. I think we uh, we pulled off uh, a movie that's lasted longer than than we may have all thought. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, it's been kind of fun to sit and, and relive it. It's fun, it is, to bring it back again. And I, I, it's fun to see this movie. And, and you know, it's funny, when people watch the movie, that's what they have. And interestingly enough, we can never have that experience because we made it. But what we do have that nobody else has was the making of it. And that's yeah. the great joy. Yeah, there's a lot of joy in the whole process of making movies. Just kind of being there and and going through it all together, especially in this case. We all bonded as, a, as cast and crew yeah. and uh, really worked hard to, to make the, the best picture we could at the time. And, and the experiences that we all remember now um, are really our reward for the film. You know, you, it's like a kid. You, you do the best you can with That's it. That's right. You send it out into the world, and sometimes it does okay, and sometimes it doesn't. But you got to finally throw it out there, and it lives on its own. And it was it was disappointing, I remember, at the time yeah. uh, to, to watch the movie not do well in the theater. Um, but I must say, over the last 13 years now, it has been uh, a great pleasure to have people come. It's movies that you do like this, that you put a lot into and you had a lot of feeling and you thought it was a really good movie. When people come up to you on the street and they say, hey, the thing. I know, that, it's a great feeling, it's a isn't great it? Feeling. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's like, what is it, Ron Ryan's Express, if just one person enjoys it, uh, then you feel like you. This was a fairly apocalyptic film. It, it did have a, a downbeat, or I guess you could call it an ambiguous ending, but. That was the ending for our picture. You know, we, you, you can't really order up a happy ending when you're dealing with something like this. Um, I suppose we could have changed it. 
uh, and have one of you become the thing, and you could have burned him and then walked off like the lone it's cowboy. Such a, it's such a great story. Who, what, who's going to win? If some, if if we go to another planet, we are trying to survive as a as a species. If we end up having to go to another planet to try to do that, we certainly hope that we survive. And Absolutely. That one was simply doing the same thing. It was doing the same planet. exact thing. And uh, who's to say? I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be us. This was my really my first film for a big studio, and um, right. I had never done when I had done independent films up to then. I had done TV movies, and what I found to be the most incredible part of making a studio film was the amount of of uh, the amount of professionalism that you could put into a scene that you were doing. This far outweighs the kind of creative quickness that you had to do on the street when you're making a film. We really, to do that blood test scene, we really had to involve acting, uh, sets, costumes, special effects. Right. You and couldn't do that with a small. It would be very difficult. It would be very difficult to get it as good as we had it. You know, the studio was behind us, and we had a team of people who were, were very, very good, fantastic actors. The special effects were amazing. Oh, they were great. And it's putting it all together and unifying it so it looks like a, a whole piece. That, that's what the studio can give you. If they're for you and they support what you're doing, there's nothing better. Th th I was going to say, that's what you have to have, though, because it, if, it, if it isn't that, it just makes you want to go back with that small crew that's and that right. small camera and have and a blast again. Yep. have a hell of a time. And that's the other side of it. If they're not for you and, and you're playing political games, then it can be real hell. But, but it's, it's terrific, the people that we worked with and... And looking at it again, it just makes me all the more proud of the film. And I just love sitting here with you and talking I about it. I know, it's a blast. I th I, it's fun to see these with you again. We, we got to do this with Escape from New York. But this, seeing this again does bring all those memories back and the fabulous time we had. And the, the again, the great time that I had making a movie with you. And I, they can't take that away from me. Never. <laughs> so listen, guys, we'll see you at the movies. And thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.